This is Aubrey Daniels, and you're listening to Leader Lab. So who are you and what do you do? Well, I'm Aubrey Daniels, and uh, I have a company that works with uh, organizations to help them bring out the best in people. And uh, author of now the fifth edition of the book Performance Management, which is the source for performance management uh, research, for insight on performance management. A lot of times here on Leader Lab, we feature authors that take a lot of really um, in-depth research, really depth application, and then sort of uh, make it into a more of a narrative form and make it more applicable. But every once in a while, we get to go back to one of the sources. And you are one of those sources, one of the first people to really use and define performance management. Um, I like to think of you as the one who coined the term. I think you're a little more humble than that, too. But um, I, I think you're one of the originators of it. So really cool to have the source of that information on the podcast. Yeah. Well, you know, the... Uh Performance, the term performance management um, probably has a long history, but the way it's typically used is uh, it means performance appraisal. And I think if you search on the web, uh, you'll, you'll see that uh, that comes up often when you try to look for performance appraisal. But what I look at performance management as a more comprehensive, in other words, it's a, it's a scientifically based way of looking at human behavior and trying to understand how best to use it in an organization to bring the best in people. And uh, the performance appraisal fails miserably in that regard. Hmm. I totally agree, but why, why do you think it is, I mean, where, where did this annual tradition of the, uh, the god-awful performance appraisal come from, and why do we even, I mean, <laughs> I, I, you look online and all you hear are articles about, let's ditch performance reviews, and yet they persist. Why, why do you think that is? Well, I think because they've been done for a long time, and it's uh, it's convenient for you know the HR department and for executive management to do that. Um, you know, I, when I begin to think about this uh, and look at uh, what goes on, um, it seems to me that uh, people have really gotten away from the original intent. Uh, I hope the original intent was to help people perform better. But if that's if that's true, then it it really it it does not contain any of the elements that we know changes behavior. I mean, you've got to have constant contact with people to change behavior. You've got to have some way to deliver consequences uh, on an ongoing basis. And and the attempt in performance appraisal to do it every uh, six months or every quarter really makes matters worse. In other words, if something's bad, doing it more often doesn't make it better. And uh, what we're talking about is uh, a system where uh, you you're able to see behavior and you're able to respond to it. And you can't do that in an office. You can't do that in a form, with a form. No, I, I totally agree. I feel like there's a there's a well-meaning effort to provide feedback, but the mechanism they use doesn't make a difference whether it's a year, six months, a quarter, like you said. The, the, the other thing is that even that is a little too late in my experience. I feel like you know, feedback needs to be much more immediate than that. I, I had a conversation with a friend of mine that was a martial artist and a competitive fighter for a time and then switched into he's now a management consultant. And he said, you know, one of the amazing things is in the ring, feedback is immediate. If you mess up, you get hit. In, in the corporate world, it takes six months to a year to get feedback. Oh, yeah. Well, see, that's a big problem. That uh, consequences, uh, the most effective consequences, are immediate consequences. So if you've got, if you've got a coach, uh, as in athletics, the coach is there to see your behavior and say, wait, oh, well, let's do that again. Do it this way. And, uh, you know, three months later or six months later or a year later, I mean, it's, it, the performance is gone. I mean, it, you can't really impact it in any significant way. And it's just a total waste of 
time and energy on the part of an organization to do that. And I recognize that, uh, and I, I made the mistake really of saying one of our very large customers have 30,000 employees that, you know, this is a poor process. And um, he challenged me on that. He said, well, if we were to eliminate this today, he said, we'd have total chaos. But my point is you need to know where you're going with it. You're having, you're, 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 your point is to try to help people do better. And so when you make revisions in it, you move toward that end. You see, right now it serves the organization, it doesn't serve the performer. No, I think that's a, a great distinction, and it's exactly right. The form is there to serve largely the organization, serve the system, not that individual person. So let's 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 do that. Let's start at the beginning and look at what actually motivates people to perform and to improve their performance, and then how do we build a system that actually leverages that and serves that person rather than the organization? Yeah, good. Well, uh, what really the, the only way you can change behavior is through consequences, changing consequences, and um, most people. Uh, today, try to change it with what we call the technical terms, antecedents. In other words, they, they want to do something, they want to talk somebody into change, they want to communicate somebody into change, they want to do things up front. But really, the way you change behavior is you do something after the behavior, not before it. And so, if you look at most initiatives, corporate initiatives, they're all about changing people, change the way people talk. In other words, uh, a fellow told me years ago, he said, when the safety was a rage, he said, the only thing changed here is the way we talk about safety. <laughs> nothing else is different because they didn't change the consequences for people who were safe and people who were not and that sort of thing. So, uh, I mean, in, in terms of quality, who produced quality, who didn't. So uh, uh, if you're going to change behavior, you've got to have some way to impact behavior immediately. And that's where your friend was right, that the whole idea of feedback is if feedback is, is delayed, you know, it, it's, uh, it's ineffective, inefficient at least. So now here's here's my question then. If the system that a manager is operating in is that delayed feedback system, what, what can we do? You know, I, I think about consequences, positive and negative, and I think about the working inside a system that is, you know, semi-annually or annually with dishing out those positive or negative consequences. What steps can a manager take to do have immediate feedback even if the system won't allow them to overhaul it and provide those things on the spot? Well, the... Uh the thing we try to get uh, managers and supervisors to do early on is to look at your process, your equipment, all of that, and make try to create an environment where people know how they're doing at all times. In other words, if, uh, you know, one of the things about a computer uh, is that when you make a mistake, you can see it. And so that becomes self-correcting because you're getting the consequences of the wrong thing on the screen that you want, so you uh, modify your behavior to change that. Um, the the another way to do that is to train everybody in this. In other words, to let everybody know this, so employees know when to provide a positive consequence and when not to provide a cons- positive consequence. So because they're with employees, you know, it's like uh, one of my favorite cartoons is a, a executive-looking person standing at, in front of a desk where the man is sitting, and the executive says, "Why aren't you working?" He said, "I didn't see you coming." And so the problem is that many times that. Uh, managers, even down to the frontline supervisors, uh, don't, they have an inadequate sample of behavior. In other words, they sample behavior from time to time. And if somebody sees you coming, they jump up and start working, and you see the behavior, and you think, well, that's representative of what they do. The employees know that that's not. You know, they see you jump up and start working when you've been loof, uh, goofing off all day. So they're in a better position to provide consequences to each other than management is. 
and uh, management thinks they know what's going on. In reality, many times they don't. No, I think that's a, a huge distinction. I feel like a lot of people ran with that as the idea for why we need 360 degree feedback. But that even that process is done on a six month or a year basis where we issue surveys and half the customers never even responded, et cetera. So what you're really talking about is a culture where people are positively reinforcing and negatively reinforcing each other, coworkers, peers, et cetera, which is a whole, it scales up to a whole culture within the organization. How do we get started creating something like that? Well, of course, you know, we're in, we're in the training consulting business, so I'm partial in terms of my answer, but the idea is that, that you need to understand behavior, the laws of behavior, which I would say most people don't. You know, you don't have to be taught how to punish. People know how to do that, all right. But you do have to be taught, in many cases, how to positively reinforce, because many, you know, the culture today is we need a positive culture. You don't have to talk people into why that's important. But people don't know how to do it, because if, if you look at uh, how parents have kind of run with this and think they're doing the right thing, when every child gets a trophy and everything that the child does is, is good and uh, uh, commendable, uh, but they think that it's not good to be negative, well, at times to be positive and at times to be negative, and you know the difference. And unfortunately, most people don't know that. And so, you know, you either read a book or try some way to educate yourself about when to do, when to do what. And, and you know, not again, not to overemphasize the training and consulting that your group does or that that book should probably be performance management. Um, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> there's, there, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I think, you know, you, you said uh, in your last response that everybody sort of knows how to punish, but they don't necessarily know how to positive reinforce. One of the chapters in the book that really resonated with me was the three ways to decrease un, unwanted behavior. Right. Because I feel like everybody knows the punishment way, but there right. are other ways, and sometimes there are more appropriate ways than just dishing out punishments to correct that unwanted behavior. Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I think the, the, the thing about this is that if, if you're doing the right thing 100% of the time, then you don't do the wrong thing, right? So one way uh, that we talk about a lot of the time, if the behavior can effectively be ignored, and sometimes you can't, but if it can, then the best way is, in fact, to strengthen the positive behaviors. So you don't need to use con negative consequences if, in fact, you're strengthening the behavior that, that adds value to the organization. And if they're doing that 100% of the time, then what's the problem? So that, that's the one I recommend for people to think about, okay, let's look at what's, what the person is doing right. Let's focus on that. Let's try to increase it. If they're not doing the right thing, then let's figure out, okay, how can we help them do that? And see, that's really the job of a frontline supervisor is to, to help people do better. And I think we need to do away the, uh, the term supervisor or coach because I'm supervisor and replace it with coach uh, because a supervisor kind of is there to overlook the work, to look over the work and to find what you're doing wrong and, you know, uh, let you know that you're not doing the right thing. Now, I, I'm reluctant to use the term coach because it has a lot of negative baggage in terms of many coaches that people know about, athletic coaches, you know, are more in the punishment line than they are in the positive reinforcement line. And uh, so, uh, but in reality, uh, if you think about a, a Every professional golfer has a coach. And look at them to see things that the person can't see about their own behavior. And say, okay, next time, try this. Change your grip, move your stance, you know, do these sorts of things. And they're focusing on, on behaviors. You see, this is one of the problems that many uh, um, training programs have, is that they try to teach behaviors that are not behaviors. 
you know, I talk about competencies and those kind of things. And, and it doesn't bother me that you start with the competency, but I say, okay, what does that mean? What, what would people do? How could you see what they're doing? Because, in fact, that's the behavior that we want. And many times, even that dealing with knowledge works, we want to say, okay, here's what I want. Here's what the kinds of things I want you to do to get that. And uh, they, these kind of things can be specified, and they're helpful to people to know that, rather than just say, well, you need to be creative or you need to be uh, innovative. What does that mean? What, what, what would I do? I, I think I'm doing that already. You know, what's interesting is when I hear you saying that, I start. it makes me start to wonder, you know, in, in entry-level HRM classes that, that I teach to undergraduate students, we talk about often that you are never evaluating a person, you are evaluating a person's performance. But yet, I think in organizations, it's too easy to to rank people and to figure to say, uh, yeah, we're going to rate you, we're going to rank you. And and when you have those vague competencies, like you said, that's your only option is you have to rank the person. When you give them the actual behaviors, exactly. you can actually say, no, we're rating this on your behavior. It has nothing to do with who you are as a person, your value, et cetera. It's just that here are the behaviors we want, and you're doing seven out of ten of them. That's exactly right. And and I think that organizations are going to have to change the way they do that. And I think, you know, uh, I was just looking at some research on engagement. And most people don't understand engagement. You know, you have to have something that you can be engaged about. So it's really, it's really a, a system issue, not a performing issue. So you don't blame the performer. The fact that almost half the people, are, by their own admission, are unengaged, you don't blame them for that. What you do is look at the environment, how we set up the policies, procedures, the, the fit and the physical environment, to cause people to want to do the right thing. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of looking at blame as sort of an ancient concept. You know, it's just not appropriate to use in the workplace. You don't blame somebody for being, being uh, for having low intelligence. I mean, why, why would that make any sense? You don't blame somebody for not knowing how to do something. Your job is to help them be able to do that. And that's really what the, the book is all about. You know, helping people understand that uh, uh, we, we know science has told us how to help people do better. We know how to do that. I mean, the, the knowledge is there. Many people don't know how to do that. Uh, but the, the, the goal of any supervisor manager is to help that person do their best. And almost no organization I can think of does that as well as they should. In fact, some of the ones that are doing the best realize they have a long way to go. Well, and I wonder if their realization that they have a long way to go is what keeps them at the best, right? It's almost like they are looking for coaches on their own behavior, evaluating behavior. Right. That's exactly right. Exactly. So the the book is in its fifth edition, and it kind of makes me wonder, um, have you noticed, as as the author doing these revisions every once in a while, have you noticed a, a big shift over when the book first came out to now? I mean, it, we have this a, a large-scale shift, I think, away from... Uh, into the information economy, into knowledge work, m more so. Have you noticed any shifts like that? I mean, I granted, I know the answer is it doesn't change how we uh, how we pre manage performance, but I'm just curious as to what changes you've had to make. Well, uh, you know, we've learned a lot, you know, from my clinical days to uh, you know coming into the workplace. Uh, I think an advantage that, that I had was that I didn't have a lot of management uh, training, and uh, when uh, plant manager told me the frontline supervisor was the key to improving performance. I bought that. And so what, what we did early on was we spent a lot of time on factory floors and office, you know, in the office, where we're actually able to look at behavior and, and see how the supervisor responded. And they could, they could begin to understand, you know, what behavior was really about. Uh, some of the concepts have not changed, but I think in the books over the time, I have been able to explain them better. Uh, you know, the, you mentioned early, there are a lot of scientific research that's valid, but 
you can read it and not understand it. You know, you've had, the, I'm sure you've had these cases where you read a, a page in a book and you say, wait a minute, now what did I just read? And you have to read it over again several times. And so the book has changed in terms of being, I think, uh, more uh, user-friendly in that regard. Hopefully we, you know, I, I recognize that my challenge as an author is to communicate things that people can understand, you know, and then do something with. Um, and and so I think each each version, uh, I've taken feedback that I've gotten from uh, people who use the book and tried to incorporate that. And I've used in this in this edition uh, my co-author John Bailey, who is a, a professor at Florida State, and he's taught this for um, 15 years or so. And so the book represents more how he taught. I've rearranged the chapters. We've updated uh, the research. Uh, but other than that, you know, it's it's pretty much the same. In other words, if you've got a first edition, you could still learn a lot of things to do right. Oh, no. <laughs> but, to but, but the first, the fifth edition is better, I'll say. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, totally. More, more, the, the content is the same. The relevancy and the, the examples used, et cetera, are, are updated and stronger for the current challenges managers face. And so we, if, have, we have more examples of uh, uh, knowledge worker kinds of uh, things where you know, earlier books were more uh, manufacturing, where, where we spent most of our time. No. So if you if you manage in a manufacturing setting or a knowledge worker setting, there is something in this new book. So check it out. It's the fifth edition of Performance Management, Changing Behavior That Drives Organizational Effectiveness. Aubrey, I wonder if we could switch a bit from the book to you and ask you our two questions for all guests. Okay. The first being, what are you reading right now? You know, well, uh, I'm reading a couple of, uh, I read Abundance. So if you're David, Dave, um, um, Peter Diamandis wrote a book called Abundance. He's talking about the future and, and talking about really how uh, you shouldn't uh, worry too much about no clean air, no uh, pure water and that kind of thing, because the technology is here today to uh, provide that. Uh, I went to Singularity University for an eight-day course uh, recently and um, met uh, Ray Kurzweil, who is sort of a futurist. And um, what I'm trying to get our customers to do is to prepare for the future and the, the future is changing so fast that many people are going to be caught off guard. And by the time they realize that things have changed beyond what they're doing, they're going to be out of business. And so those are the things I'm really looking at related articles to that and those books. Hmm. And, and on that note, um, you, you have a, a thriving training and consulting business. The, uh, the book is out in its fifth edition. But I'm wondering, what's next for you? Well, I, I've started an institute and the purpose of the Institute is to do things that uh, I don't have to worry so much about the bottom line and that sort of thing, but to do things that, that I think would help society as a whole. And one of them is uh, education. I'm really focused on education and, and uh, accelerating learning. You know, the rates of learning in public schools, and in, in most schools actually, are very low. Uh, Kent Johnson at the uh, at, um Morningside Academy in Seattle guarantees parents two grade levels per subject per year are your money back. And 30-some years, he hadn't, he's given less than 1% of the money back because the, the average attendance at the school is close to three, three grades per year. And here we have, uh, you know, the best schools in, in New York, the charter schools, are producing only eight-tenths of a grade per year. Yeah, but the public schools do only about three-tenths of a grade per year. And it's really pathetic. And I want to do that not only for education per se, but for business, because many times business is looking at improvement, and all improvement is, is helpful, but it may not be fast enough to keep you in the game. 
in terms of the way the world's changing. So that's kind of where I'm. Yeah, that's exciting. We'll be we'll be looking out for that. In in the meantime, thankfully, the world has changed, and so has performance management slightly to be updated. So check that out. Uh, it's in its fifth edition. It's a really solid read. This is actually it's kind of cool for me. This is one of the books that when I was in graduate school, I ran into. The, I think the fourth edition of. It's exciting to have the fifth edition out in my hand and talking to the author. Oh, so, right, right. <laughs> Aubrey, thank you so much for joining us inside the Leader Lab. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure, and I'm I'm glad to be asked. Hey everybody, it's David from the Leader Lab Podcast. I just want to thank you for being a part of this community and for listening to this podcast episode. And I want to remind you that you can get even more content from us if you connect with us online. We're at Twitter, twitter.com slash LDRLB, Facebook, facebook.com slash LDRLB. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast in either iTunes or Stitcher, or just subscribe to our email newsletter and we'll email you every single time we post a new episode. Thanks so much for being a part of the community. Look forward to giving you even more great content.